Hello everybody and welcome to a brand new Doctor Who review here on Spill Your Beans. It's the Who Review. It's episode 4, Village of the Angels. Um, I'm very excited to talk about this one. There's actually a lot to talk about here. Um, especially on rewatch as well. My opinions have very much differed from my YouTube review this week. So that's uh, that's an interesting one. So that'll be fun to talk about, I'm sure. Um, yeah. So, um, before we get into the sort of big meat part of the review... Um, I thought I mentioned a couple of things like I do every single week. This, of course, is on Spill Your Beans, but this is not the main show that we do here. We also do film reviews every single week, and there are now 16 main film reviews up on the Spotify, Apple, Google, the same place you're listening to this podcast. You can also find film reviews as well. Last week, I covered the wonderful Tommy Wiseau classic, The Room. Uh, with the wonderful Fenton, who joined me to talk about that film, and she was brilliant. Uh, she's an AD, um in industry and a PA as well and she had a lot of great insight into that sort of industry as well as of course chatting about this wonderful film that is The Room. The week before that we had Ghostbusters with Stephen McCullough from the Doctor Who community who you may recognise as Vote Saxon or Seven. Uh, so if you haven't already checked those out you know we've got loads of other ones MCU, Psycho, Last Night in Soho, all that lovely stuff there's a lot of recent ones on there and we're doing them every single Friday so if you do enjoy these Doctor Who reviews and you want to see me join with a guest ramble about some random sort of film that you may or may not like or may or may not be familiar with then every friday we'll be doing that i'm not sure what's this week but you'll have to wait and see so check out the twitter for that at spill your beans um yeah so let's talk about village of the angels um so in my youtube review i was quite scathing actually i think i mean probably not as scathing as you could imagine some people on the youtube sphere for me in terms of my standards i reckon it was quite a bit scathing i think i um yeah i, I waffled on a little bit about how i didn't like certain aspects of this episode and i do stand by a lot of what i said but i think on reflection and definitely on rewatch as well i've got a bit of a new perspective on it i'd say i think so yeah let's talk about that new perspective um we'll start with the opening of the episode um I'm going to include two parts of the opening here. The opening with um, Claire and Jericho um, in the village was interesting, um, but I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not super invested. It's probably the weakest pre-credits sequence yet of the series. Every other one's been very engaging and out there. Um, whereas this was really good, but I was just like, yep, okay. Uh, cool. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I know what's going on. I'm just sort of waiting for the stuff that we inevitably already don't know. Um, we know she's been zapped back in the past, all that sort of thing. Um, the second part of the in, uh, the opening, which I'd include, um, but it was after the t opening credits, was the Doctor, Yaz, and Dan in the TARDIS with the Angel. What a beautiful scene that was. Whoever decided to light the TARDIS like that in that scene and have it flashing around, the movement of the Angel, the music, the sound design, everything there was gorgeous some fantastic weeping angel action um and it's a shame the weeping angel episode's done now because i'm sort of like oh wow that was really cool um the angel being in the tardis a nice little um thing it wasn't a really easy get out of jail free card i mean it kind of was in terms of oh it just we plug these two things together and then it's all fine and well and good um but it was a bit better than the other uh, cliffhanger resolutions of this series so far so i really enjoyed that um but yeah visually conceptually and audibly very interesting that scene i really like that um moving on to the main sort of story there's two sort of well there's kind of three fractions um but there's main there's the main two there's the dr jericho and claire 
and there is Yaz, Dan, and Peggy. Um, so let's talk about the Doctor, Jericho, and Claire first. So the Doctor immediately separates from the companions, which is a strange choice, but it does kind of make sense, I guess, um, in this context. The Doctor has her own stuff to do, and she is already quite distant um, from the other two companions, so it does make a bit of sense. Um, she runs off to find Jericho and, of course, Claire, who are doing the sort of experiments. We sort of get a little few things gathered already. Uh, I really liked immediately the way the Doctor threw the picture of the angel in the fire, or at least didn't, you know, didn't set it on fire, but sort of ripped it up and threw it in the fireplace. I thought that was a really cool kind of moment, because you realise again that the Doctor does know what she's doing here. She knows the rules of the Weeping Angels, at least to what she's already experienced. Um, so to see that concept brought back was really interesting. I'm going to be saying that a lot this uh, review, because I feel there's a lot of concepts which I really liked that were brought back in interesting and different and fancy ways. Um, so yeah, really cool stuff with that. Um, Claire going to the bathroom, there's a gorgeous, gorgeous shot of the Weeping Angel, um, wings behind her in the mirror. Um, the fantastic Jamie Stone, or Jamie Magnus Stone, sorry, um, posted these, uh, images on Twitter regarding the behind-the-scenes stuff, and just goes to testament to how well made this episode was. They just looked incredible, and there's a lot of thought and time and passion and energy gone into this that I genuinely have so much respect for it. So, yeah, top job to the whole team there, of course, specifically the director, Jamie Magnus Stone, of this episode. He was brilliant, so well done to him. The story with the Dr. Jericho and Claire was initially not my personal cup of tea. No, I mean, I say not my personal cup of tea. It was definitely the better part of the story. I think, for me, it was very much... Do you remember all this? Do you remember the Weeping Angels? Do you remember what the Weeping Angels do? Here's, like, here's them, uh, like, I don't know, like, making a noise, trying to, you know, here's them outside, here's the angel in her eye, like, she's rubbing it and dust comes out, like, here's all the things that you might remember from the previous Weeping Angel stories, which I don't mind, but I was like, ah, this is cool, but I'm like, something new please and then it did give us something new eventually uh the doctor went into claire's mind uh when she realized that there's an angel in her head uh, which was a bit strange to me because i was sitting there originally watching it being like just tell her to close her eyes this is the same thing that happened with amy i would have thought but it's not the same thing that happened with amy uh which is what i originally thought when i watched it which is why i was a bit confused there um it's not the same thing that happened with amy it's it's really not it's a sort of very similar thing but not exactly the same you know amy wasn't sort of being held hostage, she was like sort of cruelly counting down for the Weeping Angel to sort of come out and take her over um, and kill her, basically, switch off the light inside her head. Whereas that's not happening with Claire. Claire's like a hostage. The Weeping Angel's hiding inside her head. That's all it's doing. Um, which is an interesting idea. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see where that's going to go because I'm not sure we've seen the last of Claire. I mean, maybe we have, but that was an interesting scene. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about the beach. That was kind of cool. Um, we had that gorgeous beach visual, the Doctor, Claire, and the Angel sort of on the beach, uh, which we saw them filming. I remember it looked fantastic, and it was. It looked really, really cool. Um, there was a lot of stuff being revealed there, a lot of important information about the Division, which is quite interesting. We'll get onto that in just a bit, though. Um, I really liked the way they did that scene. I think the scene looked brilliant. I think um, the acting was great. And the whole thing surrounding that was pretty good. Leaving Jericho in the basement of the house by himself, without the help of the Doctor and Claire, while they're still present, of course, but without their help, um, I thought was really interesting. Keeping him watching the screen. 
you know, the idea of um, the, the angels sort of slowly taking their time. When I rewatched this episode I put on Twitter, I said um, I wasn't really keen about how the angels worked at the beginning of this, how the angels couldn't break down like a simple wooden door and they were really slow and a bit weird. It was almost very convenient for the plot. But a lot of people were saying that it kind of was confirmed towards the end that the angels were just sort of toying with them a little bit. They want to get this angel, yeah, but they are taking their time. They're not bothered. They know they're going to win. And that makes sense. The Weeping Angels do have a habit of being a bit cocky. It's happened a lot of times before. Not so much in Blink, but I remember Flesh and Stone, there's a scene where the Weeping Angels are laughing at, um, at the soldiers and the Doctor and Reverend Amy. They were like very audibly, loudly laughing to scare them um, and freak them out a little bit. The same way that the angel had Amy count down from 10. It's entertainment for them. They are freakishly weird and terrifying concepts. And it's great to see them having a bit of fun, toying with their prey. At first I thought it was a bit odd and a bit convenient. And it definitely is convenient. But I do have to say I like the idea that they are just toying with their prey there. There were some great visuals with the Weeping Angels and the rule books there. Obviously we know the whole whatever holds the image of an angel becomes itself an angel thing. I love that concept from um, Time of Angels and Flesh and Stone. It's something that has stuck with the Weeping Angel mythology since then really, really well. People are very strongly aware of that rule. Um, and it was great to see it come into practice here with the better CGI than we used to have. Um, the paper coming together and the angel sort of appearing and the effect when the Doctor picked up the paper, and it was almost like a hologram from the paper. The Doctor scrunching the paper up, and the angel image scrunching up, the Doctor throwing it in the fire, and the angel appearing on fire. What a gorgeous visual that was. And then we had the TV stuff as well, which I thought was really cool. Um, the angels talking to Jericho using his voice. Now, I'm not entirely sure how they did that. There was a reason in Time of Angels and Flesh and Stone as to why they were able to talk, but I thought that was... Um, because they killed Bob, that they were able to talk through Bob's uh, vocals. But Jericho was just being talked to by himself, being almost sort of emulating his voice in a weird way, which is kind of interesting. So maybe there's something there, maybe that's been explained, maybe not, I'm not sure. Maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's something to do with him personally that we don't know yet. Jericho's going to appear in the next few episodes, so we really don't know where that's going to go yet. Um... In terms of that scene, though, there was a great shot of the angel coming out of the TV. That was a really, really nice visual. Again, brilliant in terms of sound design as well and music. Top, top stuff here from Sega Nakanola and the rest of the audio team in terms of sound effects, in terms of foley, in terms of music. The whole thing sounded incredible and genuinely quite scary at parts. So credit where it's due. That's the whole point of the Weeping Angels and it worked for me. You, of course, get them getting chased into the... Uh, into the cave, which is kind of cool. I like that. Um, the Weeping Angel being drawn on the um, lie detector is cool. Or just loads of different details that they do with Weeping Angels here. I kept saying in the review that they just reuse old concepts. And they do a little bit. But actually, on reflection of what I was saying, I think I was wrong. I genuinely think I was wrong in my initial review. I think my initial reaction was quite harsh. Probably because I was felt feeling a bit empty with the episode due to the fact the Kate Stewart thing kind of was the most exciting thing about it, which I do stand by, uh, but we'll get on to that. Um, they got chased out of the tunnel area, and I really liked that conceptually, but yeah, all the ideas was really uh, were really cool that were presented here. Um, they had the stuff with the, obviously the paper, the um, just the way they're like kind of messing with the Doctor, the TV screen, the security camera, all that sort of thing that was just really entertaining. 
good solid weeping angel stuff it feels exactly how they're supposed to act and as much as i'm more of a fan of the classic weeping angel moving in the dark kind of thing we got enough of that we got that with yaz and dan and we got that in the cave sequence when they're sort of trying to get out in the house that sort of um strange area the idea of the angel's hands coming out of the wall this sort of stone ship monument thing that's sort of next to the house that's made out of weeping angels what a cool concept yeah it's all rock because you're looking at it but that building can in its in a way sort of move as well that is a great concept i wish they'd done more with a building made out of weeping angels that can move at its own will when you're not looking at it a whole building not just an angel um but yeah having the angel's hands come out the walls having the angel stand there and sort of bounce back and forward letting claire go and then jericho obviously getting zapped back in time the stuff with the doctor standing in there there was just some great great stuff in there really really solid solid stuff that i was genuinely quite impressed with in terms of how it was um displayed i think it, yeah I, I just think it i think it looked really good um in terms of good weeping angel content that's kind of that kind of filled what i wanted to be honest um the sort of scenes towards the end i thought that was really really solid stuff um but yeah we're not going to go straight into the ending we'll talk about yaz dan and peggy for a bit as well so Yaz and Dan, here's my biggest criticism of the episode right here, because this is what I was talking about in my main review, is this is probably the weakest episode for them, because they didn't do anything. And this is my thing, is that, yes, they introduced the idea that the girl's gone missing. A girl has gone missing, and they're all looking for her. Cool. Um, cool, that's great, yeah. Um, there's an old woman introduced, and that eventually is revealed to be Peggy, the girl who's gone missing. Uh, sent back in time we worked that out quite soon and i and i quite like that little reveal i wasn't expecting it it wasn't too obvious to me um but maybe that's because i'm a bit stupid i quite like that though i quite like that as a little reveal not the most impactful but i can't help but feel that entire story thread is just to get dan and yaz from point a to point b sending them back in time is for the next story you know what i mean they have to be back in time for the next story they have to live by themselves in the wrong time period for a little bit um but then also just to get them out of the way because like the doctor jericho and claire are supposed to have their thing the companions shouldn't be there because it doesn't really make as much sense and it's not as good with the companions there so what do the companions do they have to just solve this random ass mystery like the whole town is disappearing that's the whole point this entire town disappears on this one night and everyone's looking for this little girl as if it's like the be all and end all i'm just like yeah it's cool but it's a very it's a story that didn't need to be there unless Peggy is a relevant character for the stories that follow this, the two episodes that follow this. I'm a bit like, that was pointless. And that the reason that was done was entirely just to give Yaz and Dan something to do. Which I respect. It's understandable. It's how you write a story. It just didn't engage me enough. And I felt like I could see straight through it. I knew exactly why this story was here to serve a purpose for Yaz and Dan. That being said, there was some great Weeping Angel stuff in that. We had Yaz and Dan... Um, with the weeping angel in the field which is a really weirdly interesting concept it's not something i expected to be scary but it was new it was different the weeping angels have only ever been done in tight confined spaces having this huge field you should feel safer but the idea of the torch going out and like the sort of moonlight getting a bit low and the angel following you in a field it's like you have to just walk backwards and not fall over and the idea of Dan trying to turn the torch on and the blinding light of the torch is what 
sort of makes them blink or makes them look away is a great new idea around the idea of the Weeping Angels. There's only so much you can do with blinking, winking, you know, jumping, falling back, sneezing, anything like that. Like, there's only so much you can do in terms of excuses to close your eyes with the Weeping Angel scenario before it gets old. This interaction was actually new and it worked. And I have to say, I was quite a fan of it. The way they were using the light, the way they were using the moonlight, all of that worked really, really well. And the idea of being a field, it shouldn't be as scary, but actually probably the scariest Weeping Angel bit in the episode for me, because you actually felt like shit. No matter how, like, look how far it came with them blinking twice. Like, they're going to have to walk so far away and keep their eyes on it without blinking this whole time. Otherwise, they're screwed. Because as much as it's a flat, empty field for them to walk about in, they have to walk backwards so they could trip over. But also, it's for the angel as well. If you're in a house with loads of turns and twists and doors and stuff, it's more difficult for the angel to get round. But if it's just a field, and it's supposed to be incredibly fast, which it is, it can get from point A to point B dead quickly. That's probably one of the scariest angel concepts I've seen in this episode. I think it was really solid stuff, and it's not being talked about enough. Um, genuine, proper horror stuff. Talking of good Weeping Angel content, I love to see new and interesting ideas with filming the Weeping Angels taken. Um, when we saw... I can't remember the, the, the people's names, but let's call them Uncle and Auntie, because they were the Uncle and Auntie of Peggy, uh, or Great Uncle, Great Auntie. Um, they were sort of walking off. They looked over the edge of this thing with the space. I still don't really get that, the way it was extracted from time or something like that, but I'll go along with it. Um, the Uncle guy kind of walked up to the angels to try and move it, and I like the fact the second he touched it... He disappeared in real time. We've never seen someone actually properly disappear before like that. And I think that was a really cool visual. Um, and also a great idea as well. Of course, if you touch the angel, then of course you're sent back in time. It's, it doesn't work just one way. Of course, it, it is the physical contact. And I quite like that. He was, oh, I'll just move it straight into the village. And he goes to pick it up and gets sent back in time. That makes perfect sense, and it's exactly the kind of thing I was expecting from this. Some new, refreshing kind of content again. Um, what followed that was also a great shot. They did a whole um, sort of one long shot, one sort of long take, where the angel moved in real time, which is amazing. I'm surprised Doctor Who's never done that before, but there was an angel in the distance. It pans around, you see the ante, and then by the time it gets back around again to where you could see the angel, the angel has moved closer so not only are you looking from the perspective of someone else but it's actually almost putting you in the eyes of um the characters there you the camera the audience is looking away from the angel and it's moved which is brilliant and it worked so so well for me that segment what also worked quite well for me is when they went back in time and they touched the angel and sort of fell into pieces of stone and just sort of fell apart it was quite a scary concept um to see that the child actor wasn't great. The child actor of Peggy wasn't amazing in these scenes, but she served a purpose. She, you know, that was the plot. Um, I liked seeing Yaz and Dan in this era, trying to work out what's going on, trying to sort of fight against the hopelessness of not being able to get home. Made a lot of sense. Worked quite well for me. Um, and yeah, the visuals of the angels in those sequences were pretty well done as well, with Auntie and Uncle, of course, touching the angel to try and get his coat loose or something. And then they both sort of turn to stone and fall apart. I don't know how that makes sense in terms of the angel law. A lot of people were pointing out Rory Williams, of course, was sent back more than once by the Weeping Angels. But maybe, maybe that's a different rule set. Maybe it's because of the squad that they're using. I don't know. The idea here, I think, was 
these weeping angels are going to kill everyone in the town. That's the intention. So they're going to send them back and then another weeping angel squad is to kill them. I don't know if that's how it's supposed to work or how it even can work, but that is that. And then we get to the end of the sequence, we have the reveal of the old woman being Peggy, and it makes sense, it all wraps up quite nicely in a nice little bow. The whole town's disappeared, the whole town's died. It's a nice, interesting concept. I just wish they'd focused more on the entire town disappearing than Peggy as a girl. Um, it's a much more interesting concept that the whole town disappears in one night, and it happened It happened in the 1900s as well. Like, it's a, such an interesting concept, and it just... They didn't do much with it, and it kind of just, I don't know, it gets to me a little bit, because I'm like, oh my god, what a fascinating concept. They put it in the trailer, that oh, sounds great, and then it just, nothing really happens with it. It's fine, it's not the end of the world, but part of me's like, oh, I really, really wish they'd done something more with that. Anyway, we've got the final story here, before we go into the ending, um, is Belle's story. Now, we get a little bit of insight into that story. It was kind of just sort of in here for about five minutes, it didn't really do much. Uh, but Belle lands on this planet, she meets uh, Neil from the Inbetweeners, um... And they reveal that they're on this sort of um, salvation planet that loads of people come to. The survivors of the flux, if you will. Um, they go there and this magical being takes them off the planet and saves them, teleports them off world. Um, when we see who that is, we see it's Azor and she is using a passenger. Which is quite a scary concept. Um, very kind of... Um, I don't know how the right word to describe it, but very um, kind of futuristic. Very... Um, post-apocalyptic or kind of authoritarian maybe it's like well we are your savior we are like sort of like false advertising um propaganda that's the word i'm looking for where well, they're just sort of standing on a cliffside going i am your queen i'm going to save you this passenger will absorb all of you into itself and it will transport you to a lovely safe haven when you know for a fact that where this is going to go is that every survivor in the whole universe that is left is going to be put inside passengers and that is going to be the stake at the end of this series isn't it like the doctor is going to have to face off against swarm and azor who have the lives of every single person in the universe every species everything just inside these passengers ready to kill whoever's left of the flux and i think that'll probably be where it goes um, which is why this these scenes were sort of relevant. I also like seeing Vinda again, um, looking for Belle. Made a lot of sense, and I quite like seeing those people together. Um, and I'm interested with their story. A lot of people are saying they're not too invested. I have to say, admittedly, weirdly, I don't know why I'm invested, but I am invested in Bin Binda, in Vinda and Belle's story. Um, there wasn't much of it in this episode, but the little that we did see of it still had me intrigued to see where it's going to go next week. Okay, let's talk about the ending. <laughs> let's talk about the ending, because that's the bit that everyone wants to sort of talk about, because it's the only real big thing about this. The story was solid here, but it was setting up next week. Um, the division, all that sort of stuff. In terms of the ending, let's not get too bogged down with these sort of ideas and all that sort of thing. When they mentioned that these Weeping Angels were working for the division, I had to say I did roll my eyes a little bit, but on reflection, knowing that these are specific angels that were employed by the Division or taken or used by the Division is way more of an interesting concept than all of the Weeping Angels. 
For me, the mystery of the Weeping Angels is that. It's the mystery. That's the sort of best part about them for me. Not knowing much about the angels is what makes them scary. When you sort of turn around and go, oh, they work for the Division, I was like, oh no, please don't say you're going to be wreck on that whole thing. Because they're a brilliant monster. And thankfully they didn't do that, but I'm worried that they're going to do the Time Lord stuff. A lot of people want it to be confirmed that the Weeping Angels are disgraced Time Lords or something. And as much as it might work, I like the idea of the theory more than I like it in practice. I don't want to see Doctor Who just go, yeah, they're Time Lords. They might well do that at the end of this series. And if well done, then cool, I guess. But I had to say I was a little bit like, I just don't want to know anything about the Angels. I like the fact that they're just scavengers. Although that being said, I do know and I do understand that you can't just bring back the same monsters for no reason. The Cybermen have new ideas and things they want to do, as do the Daleks, as do this, as do that. Everything, you know, every monster needs a new reason to be in a story. And the Weeping Angels just coming back to fuck with this village wouldn't make much sense. So I do understand it. And I appreciate that element of it. But I just, I'm hoping we're not going to get too much more of the Weeping Angels backstory. I don't want Class Season 2. Um, where, like, it's going to be, you know, oh, the Weeping Angels' home planet or something. I don't want to ever see that. Um, I really, really don't. That being said, though, um, we get to the ending um, with a brilliant, gorgeous shot of all the Weeping Angels standing outside this sort of monument. Claire and her angel in the middle, the Doctor standing right below them, surrounded by weeping angels. And Claire talks to the Doctor, basically saying that her angel has sold the Doctor out. The angel, the rogue angel, which is a great concept of rogue angel, love that. She's on hunt from the division, well, the angel is on hunt from the division, or the weeping angel division members, um, for leaving her post, almost. Very similar to that of the Doctor. Um, in Fugitive of the Jadoon. The difference here is they've actually dispatched Weeping Angels to go after a Weeping Angel, which actually makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Um, they've got the Doctor in wraps because the Doctor is the one they want back the most, which is interesting. Do they want the Doctor because she ran away from her post, or do they want the Doctor just for a laugh because they're saying you've been recalled to Division? Is that the Weeping Angel's authority, or is this someone else? I... You know, we get a lot of information about, oh, the Division is everywhere. It's unstoppable. It can have any race in it. I am quite excited to see where next week's going to go. Um, but I want to see some Time Lord stuff at some point. I don't want them to keep cock-teasing the Division and not do some Time Lord stuff. I know we got a lot of that last series, but the Division started with the Time Lords, you know? Or as far as we're aware, it started with the Time Lords. I would very much love to see something done with that, especially because we're running out of episodes. Chibnall and Whitaker have five episodes left, and then they're gone. And I'm worried that The Division is not going to get finished, or rounded off, or completed in terms of a story in these five episodes. That's what I'm worried about. I hope I'm wrong. I hope the show proves me wrong, but I am worried about it. That being said... A brilliant twist and a phenomenal ending. What a visual. Jodie Whittaker as the 13th Doctor turning into a weeping angel. Something I never thought I would see in Doctor Who is the Doctor or anyone transforming into a weeping angel. Especially not the Doctor. And I think it's absolutely stunning. As a visual, it looks incredible. And I was so, so impressed with the visual effects team and what they managed to do there. Because it looked incredible, but genuinely, genuinely seamless. Um, and it gets me excited for next week. What a striking note to end on before 
a closing credits without the drum beat. A few people thought it might have been a mistake, but I love the fact that it removed the drum beat. The heart of the show, the heart of the Time Lord, is gone from the titles. Instead, you're left with this in tune, in beat, eerie theme tune, which just you know it is what it is. It's it's. There's no drum beat. There's no heart. There's no soul. Everything's gone. The Doctor's gone. The Doctor is a weeping angel now, and the theme falls apart. You know. I absolutely adore that, and I hope they. I, I was kind of wish. I was kind of wishing they'd do more with the title sequence and stuff. Anyway, CGI wise, they haven't this series, especially with the flux. It would have been a perfect opportunity to do that, especially with the idea of it being like it actually has the word flux in the title sequence, where it is different. It is unique. You could have done something a bit more with that, but you know, it is what it is. It's a very minor detail. I love the note this episode ends on, and I'm very very excited for next week. It does worry me that they put Kate Stewart in the next time trailer. I will have to be honest with that. Only because I um I, I just worry. I worry why. A lot of people are going, well, it's probably because there's bigger stuff in the next episode. There's going to be some huge, huge stuff in the next episode. Because they've got to. If they're going to put Kate Stewart in the next time trailer and not wait for that reveal in the episode, then there must be some huge stuff next week. My worry, though, is that they're doing that because their viewership is dropping a little bit. Now, I don't think the viewership's bad, but I think the BBC would want it a bit higher, and I worry that this was a decision not based off story, based off, oh, well, if we put her in the trailer, more people will watch it live. That worries me <laughs> a little bit. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm getting Series 10 Doctor Who vibes here with John Sim in the trailer for World Enough in Time, despite the fact that he's only in the episode for the last, like, five minutes as John Sim. He's Razor for most of the episode, but for John Sim, the master, the amount of time he's actually the master at the end of the episode is about five minutes, if that. And they put him in the next time trailer. There's just certain things you just don't need to do. And I know it's about viewership. I know it's all about that. You want it to be seen. Of course you do. But part of me hopes that the reason that Kate Stewart's in the next time trailer is because it's nowhere near the biggest thing about next week's episode. But I worry that it is going to be the biggest thing about next week's episode. And that scares me. Anyway. Um, that's my sort of thoughts on this episode. I think it's better than I first sort of talked about on YouTube. I was definitely wrong in a lot of areas. And I'm definitely glad to see a lot more being done with it. Um, you know, this, that, and the other. I quite like that we're going to get more from where this is going now. And yeah, let's see. I talk, I'm talking rubbish now. But basically, in summary, I didn't really like it when I first watched it. I thought it was a bit, yeah, I felt a bit empty when I came out of it. Now I definitely have a lot more love for this episode. And yeah, I, I can see a lot of reasons why people would love this. Let's talk through Twitter. Every week I ask you guys to contribute some ideas, some thoughts, some theories, hot takes, etc. Um, for me to read through on the um, podcast. So, we're going to go through that now. Uh, Andrew Martin UK says, Jericho is the way out. Interesting. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I'm, I'm down for it. Jericho is going to be appearing in the next episode and presumably the finale as well. So I actually think there might be something in that. There must be a reason as to why they're bringing him along for the ride. It's not like they couldn't have any other humans with the Doctor and Claire. Because obviously the old woman was there. Peggy was there. And she didn't do anything. She wasn't really relevant. She just had to be there for the story. So the reason Jericho was sent back in time is still 
unapparent story-wise, but we know he's there next week, three years on, with Yaz and Dan, who have been working together for a while. So, I'll be interested to see what they do with that. The Matt Sykes said, The way the angels move is far less creepy. They now cover their eyes until the last second in cases where they attack. In other cases, they look at each other multiple times without remaining stone, which diminishes continuity. The backstory degrades the uh, the era... The backstory degrades the eerie ambiguity. Interesting. I uh, I dis- I totally agree with the backstory stuff. There wasn't really a scenario where I thought the angels looked at each other and thought it kind of broke continuity a little bit. Um, maybe in the tunnel segment when they're escaping. I'm not too sure. Um, but yeah, I'm not 100% on that one. My guess would be that... Um, I don't know. I, I think there's 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 a few things in there that I agree with. There's a few things I don't. I think the Weeping Angels were scary in this. I don't think they did hold their hands over their eyes until the last minute. Um, I think there was a time in episode one where they did that, when the Weeping Angels showed up in the modern day. It did just move as a standard statue, which was a bit shit, and I did point this out at the time. However, in this episode, I was actually impressed that they did move as much as they did. So, um, yeah, no, I'm not too bothered about how they did it in this. Alternate thirteenth said the shot of thirteen as the angel will be right at the start doing a um resolution of the Daleks. That shot of thirteen as an angel will be right at the start doing an uh, doing a R O T D, which I presume is resolution of the Daleks, where they mislead us as a prison before division agent collects her, who will probably be the Grand Serpent as he's next to the TARDIS in the trailer, saying how could you possibly save them for the Doctor? Now, we don't necessarily know he's saying that to the Doctor. He could be saying that to anyone. Um, We see the Grand Serpent from the main series trailer. We see him in that era, in the history. um, In the history. In history. um, Knocking about in the same sort of era that we presume Yaz and Dan are knocking around in. Um, We also know there's... The TARDIS was left in the village... And I think there was mentioned at some point, now I could be totally, totally wrong, but I think I saw someone on Twitter mention this, that the series, um, sorry, the series, the town that they're based in actually does eventually get turned into an army base. So, hmm, there's obviously Unit in the next episode. My guess is, did Unit or the remains of Unit find out where the TARDIS actually was left for some reason, just this random TARDIS in this random old empty village and then turn that into a new army base to protect the TARDIS, a bit like the original unit base where the TARDIS was always just sort of lingering there. Um, the Grand Serpent, I would say, would find that maybe. And I don't know if the Grand Serpent is talking to the Doctor. My guess is that he would be talking to Kate Stewart in unit. Um, I could be totally wrong, though. But I do agree with the idea that the um, the uh, uh, cliffhanger is kind of um, misleading. I think they probably will resolve the cliffhanger quite soon after the opening credits, but we'll see. Quinton Reviews says it's a very charming, fun episode that potentially has ruined the mystery of the Weeping Angels a tiny little bit. I think that's a perfect way to sum it up, to be honest. That's exactly how I feel. It's it's not a bad episode. It's not a bad use of the Weeping Angels, but it does kind of diminish their mystery. And their mystery, for me, is what makes them scary. Um, At worst, the episode feels like it was rewritten a few times and a lot of the details were left over from draft A or B. Um... Yeah, I can totally sense that. The story is good, but people saying it's the best of all time in the Whitaker era, at least, or even this series, I kind of do have to disagree. It's a gorgeous aesthetic, but aesthetic doesn't make a good story. 
writing makes a good story. And I don't think this is up to par. I think, honestly, Haunting of Villa Diodati was Maxine Alderson's best work in Doctor Who, and I still stand by that. But yeah, no, it was a good episode. Obsessed Moron says, I'm pretty sure Vinder is a long way behind Bell. The guy even says, time is weird, so I wouldn't be surprised if Vinder finds a very old or regenerated Bell. I think you could be right there. There's nothing really for me to go off in terms of that, but yeah, that's a cool little theory. ZDMH19 says, more of a prediction, but I think we're going to see Gallifrey in the next episode. The Doctor being recalled may bring her there. Interesting theory. I, I would be inclined to agree if the line in the episode didn't state that the Division was everywhere and with everyone. I don't know if they're going to go immediately back to ancient Gallifrey. I'd love them to, because I would love to see Gallifrey in that era when it's fully functional, but I don't think we will. Um, I'm just guessing. I don't know. Skyminer2243 says, Just a thought. If now images of angels in our minds become real angels, does that mean any angel in the character's memory can take over them? I don't know if that's specifically how it works. I think it's more to do with what happened to Amy in Time of Angels and Flesh and Stone. I'm not sure exactly what they said in this episode, but I think this specific scenario with Claire is more of the angel isn't trying to take her over and kill her, it's trying to take her hostage. But that could have been any human. Um, the first human to look into that angel's eyes, it'll take over, for example. Um, opposed to it being like, anyone remembers a weeping angel, then it can come from their mind. I think it's more, if you look into the eyes of an angel, you can get that. So... That's probably the sort of thing there, I guess. At Timeless Child, great name. Uh, I think the Doctor will become quantum-locked, only able to move when unobserved. I would very much like to see that. That would be a really cool idea. Maybe having a conscience there that she can sort of feel and breathe and see and stuff like that, but like she can't move whilst being observed. So someone turns their back to listen to her and she gets to talk. And you can hear her, but you can't see her. She can't be observed. That would be a really cool concept. Because she doesn't look like a normal weeping angel. She looks like the Doctor as a weeping angel. It's more of a containment field than it is anything, you know, legit, I guess. I don't know. We'll see. Sherlock's 242. I think the weeping angels that have appeared in Doctor Who since Blink are actually... Time Lords. Remember the woman from the end of time? She had her eyes covered like an angel. A lot of people are talking about this, and people have been talking about this for years, um, because in the end of time, Rassilon, of course, says only two stand against, and they will be stand, uh, they will stand as a monument to their shame, like the weeping angels of old. Um, yeah, I feel like there's something relevant there, but that's more of a sort of tongue-in-cheek reference I think Russell threw in his last episode, opposed to being anything super, super deep. I don't know if Chibnall's going to go all the way back to the woman from the end of time, to do something with that, you know? I don't know if that's something they'll ever touch on again. I don't know if they should. I don't know if they'll do anything with the Weeping Angel backstory. I've kind of already talked about in this uh, that in this podcast, so I'm not really too sure. Ukandan Prince, <laughs> great username, says, My hot take, the episode becomes an easy 9 or 10 out of 10 instead of a 7, 8 out of 10 if it was purely Village of the Angels by Maxine Alderton and not Village of the Angels plus some flux stuff crammed in by Maxine Alderton and Chris Chibnall. Makes it stand out, uh, makes it stand a lot and put the flux bits in the standalone. Um, I would agree, but the thing is with this series is it's all going to have flux stuff crammed in it because it is all one continuous story. Do I kind of wish Village of the Angels as a concept was done last series, where the episodes could be individual and have their own breathing room? Yes, 
I absolutely do. I think that would have made it an absolutely much better story, but it had to be part of Flux. It's just a shame that that's just how it works. But that's the one downside so far of Flux that I've seen. The rest of the series really benefits from Chibnall's writing style, though. So I would argue that although this is a bit of a one-off, I still kind of fancy it being part of the series. I'm still a fan of that overall, and I wouldn't change that. Jacob White or one says I'd much rather see Jericho as a companion than Dan or Yaz. People always say this with side characters. There's always going to be a really good random side character, and maybe he will be a companion for the end of the series. He's in the next two episodes, so or at least he's definitely in next week. I don't know if he's in the finale, but you know he'll probably meet the Doctor again. And I could swear that an angel got in his eye at the end there with the dust and all that sort of thing, but I could be totally wrong. But if that is the case, um. Sort of quote me on that next week when it does get confirmed, but it might not be. I think my, inter my initial interpretation is that the angel, he looked into an angel's eyes and it got into his head. Um, but I could be totally wrong. The reflection in the eye, as well as the dust effect appearing again, I kind of assumed that the angel's in his head now, and he's going to slowly be taken over by an angel over the span of the next episode. I don't really know, but it's an interesting one. We'll see. A box full of bickies says, Okay, not really a theory, but I hope we get quite a while of 13 as an angel. I'd love the imagery of a single tear coming out the Doctor's statue eye or something like that. To add to this, since Kate has the TARDIS, maybe she has the 13 statue too. But I'm also not sure if the Division transporting her or if they've just turned her into an angel and left her there. I think they're transporting her. I think that's the crack there. I'm not exactly sure what or why. Um... But we'll soon find out next week, I, pres uh, I presume, I suppose. That's what I was going to say, both words at the same time there. But yeah, I'm not really sure what they're doing with that. I don't think Kate Stewart's going to know about 13. My worry is that she's not even going to meet 13 next episode. I think it's going to be totally separate. And maybe Kate Stewart will meet 13 in the finale, but we'll have to wait and see for that, I suppose. Angor GD uh, says, not really to do with the episode or a theory, um, but do you think any other unit members, such as Osgood, will return? I think it's interesting that we've got the old unit uniforms back. It's clear that Chibnall is kind of leaning more to the um, classic aesthetic of unit. Maybe that's more his cup of tea. I would love to see unit um, properly return with some classic members. I'd love to see Osgood again. Um, or maybe one of the Osgoods, uh, whether it be the Zygon one or otherwise, I'm not really sure, but I, d I wouldn't get too into that. Um, I don't think Chibnall will do that. And maybe he'll avoid the Osgoods to fall together, um, even having her in the episode, just in case. But, considering Osgood did appear in a Weeping Angel game recently, I don't think it's too far out of the question. Um, so we'll see. I'd love to see, like... I don't know, I'd love to see Sergeant Benton back, you know what I mean? I'd love to see an older 70s unit commander, or like, I can't remember what her name is, but the one who was uh, the brigadier in Battlefield, I'd love to see her back as well, um, and maybe bring back Bessie, but that's me getting really over the top and classic unit stuff, but we'll see. Uh, I would love to see something cool like that though. I think the master, oh sorry, eyebrows 1214, I think the master will rescue the doctor because he wants to be the one to kill her. I don't know if the master's going to appear this series, I think he's more likely to appear in the specials, but we'll have to wait and see, I guess. Um, that's basically it from Twitter, 
Um, thank you so much for listening. I think we're kind of done here, though. I think I kind of summarised my feelings. We're at 44 minutes here. Um, it's longer than the last two reviews we've done. But yeah, there's a lot to talk about, a lot to theorise, a lot to break down about. Um, but yeah, on the whole, really liked the episode. I think, again, it was solid stuff. I didn't like it as much on broadcast, which is interesting. And it definitely did a few things that I wasn't too keen on. There's a lot of sacrifices made, really, um, to make it part of Flux. And I think that's an interesting angle that we haven't quite seen yet. Once Upon a Time was always going to be part of Flux. The Sontarans one feels so naturally part of Flux. And the Halloween Apocalypse one, is it, that is just Flux. Whereas this is the first episode where I've been like, oh, this feels like its own thing, and it may have been better as its own thing, but hey-ho, it's part of Flux anyway. Um, but there we go. I'm not really sure. Let me know what you think on Twitter and um, YouTube and all that sort of lovely stuff. And yeah, we'll see you on Friday with another film review to be confirmed. I'm not sure exactly what that's going to be yet, but do stay tuned. And then I'll see you on Sunday for another Doctor Who review for Survivors of the Flux, and back here next Wednesday for my podcast review of Survivors of the Flux. See you all next week. Have a lovely time. Bye-bye.